Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by BlackRock Health, providing patients with world-class clinical care and comfort, enabling swifter recoveries. Well, first this morning, last night in Cork, saw the inaugural Women of Vision Awards. The awards recognise women from all walks of life for the extraordinary and incredible work they do. Well, I'm joined now by two of the recipients of the awards. Professor Mary Horgan was the first female president of the Royal College of Physicians in this country. And she's also an infectious diseases consultant in Cork University Hospital. And Dr Laura Cuddy is a specialist in small animal surgery. She's also director at Veterinary Specialists Ireland. And Dr. Cuddy and Professor Horgan, good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning, Miriam. Let, let me start with you first, Laura. Look, I know they don't matter. You're this incredibly impressive vet, but was it nice to get an award last night for your work? Thank you, Miriam. Yes, it was just really nice to be recognised. I mean, there's so many incredible women there last night from all different walks of life. And we're a small part of society and, and veterinary certainly is a small part of everything that goes on. But it was lovely to see recognition for the veterinary community among those awards. And you, Mary? Absolutely delighted. And it was great to have family and friends there who were really instrumental in getting me to where I am today. So it was really nice to share the moment with them, Miriam. And staying with you first, Mary, look, I interviewed you many times on primetime during the pandemic. You're a familiar voice in the airways you're, during your time at Neffet. Take me back, though. You're a proud Trilly woman, I gather. And did I read no less than five of your aunts were doctors? So did you grow up surrounded by medicine? Yes, I did. My grandfather was um, a GP in Rathdowney in County Leash and there was eight children in the family, six of whom did medicine, um, five of them aunts. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, it was normal for me to have female medicine in, in the family. So, yeah, I was immersed in it from an early age. So were you, do you think you were always going to be a doctor, like from a young age? Is medicine what you always want to do, Mary? Yes, it, yes, it is. Uh, it was at the time. And I had parents who really encouraged us and all of us in the family to do whatever we, we wanted to do. And we were, I was fortunate enough to be educated by uh, the presentation nuns in Tralee, um, who also, you know, encouraged us as, as uh, women, who was all girls school as they were in the day, to really achieve our potential. Um, never saw a barrier or anything like that. So, yeah, off I, I always wanted to do medicine and uh, headed off to UCD in 1980 um, and was delighted to do that. And just before I bring you back in, Laura, and, you know, Pride, we celebrated Pride this weekend. And of course, shortly after you left UCDs, and this right, Mary, you in fact began working in St. Louis in the US during that horrendously sad time when the HIV AIDS ap epidemic happened. Yes, uh, I went to the States in 1990 and did my training in infectious diseases. And it was a time that people actually forget how bad it was uh, for those with HIV AIDS. It was a death sentence for the majority of people at the time. And all of those, you know, uh, movies like Philadelphia or the Dallas Buyers Club or It's a Sin, the series that was out mm. recently, really highlight how bad it was. Not only the, you know, the stigma um, around it, but also, you know, the horrific deaths. And it's amazing how I think three things made the difference. All the science research 
patient, you know, patients' mm. involvement in in research and advocacy, particularly um, gay men. They were really fantastic in advocating for the best of care um, when we didn't have any treatments, but also ensuring that there was funding going to research in the area to bring us where we are today, which is HIV is is you know an infection, but people with treatment mm. um, have a normal lifespan, which is amazing. Brilliant. Laura, what was your trajectory like? Did you always want to be a vet? I know you went to UCD as well, obviously, to do veterinary. Yeah, I think like most vets, uh, veterinary is something I felt like I always wanted to pursue as a career. And so from a very young age, I grew up with a really happy childhood, plenty of animals and decided I wanted to be a vet from a very young age. And I guess my career then, as well as wanting to become a vet, I was very fortunate in my transition year in school to spend some time with one of the only specialist surgeons at the time in Ireland, Shane Geeran, and he was working in Cork. And so at that time, I kind of knew I didn't just want to be a vet, I wanted to be a specialist. And so that's where you kind of get to this point of saying, let's do some further training beyond veterinary. So that's where my career took me is let's become a vet, but let's push on and, and, and do a specialty on top of that. And you've really done that because you've opened a veterinary hospital here. Like what kind of animals are you doing work on? I mean, even there's so many hip replacements and dogs. Who knew? <laughs> Exactly, yeah. So our hospital is specialist only and it's it's a bit unique, I guess, in Ireland. And, and this is something and models that we also trained in the States. And so this was very standard of care when we trained in the States over 10 years ago that specialty hospitals existed for animals. And so they do advanced treatments like, you know, heart surgeries, hip replacements, knee surgeries, keyhole surgery. And so um, my husband and I trained there and then came back to Ireland and there really was not a huge offering for pets in Ireland. And we said, well, if we want to do this, we're going to have to do it ourselves. And so we built a hospital in Meath. And so we see animals from all over the island of Ireland coming to us for these specialist treatments. And people now are getting these treatments themselves, like keyhole, hip replacement, cardiac surgery. And they're coming to us and saying, we want this for our pets as well. We want them to live good quality, longer lives. They're part of our family. And so that's something that we're very keen to make sure we progress in Ireland, that people have access to this for their pets. And obviously, like, sorry, I was just reading this and it just amused me earlier, like cats when they're operating on. Is it correct that you sometimes show them YouTube videos to de-stress them? (laughs) What do they watch? yeah, they they love to watch nature videos. That's what they like. Yeah. So, I mean, cats and dogs, we have to consider, it's like doing pediatrics in, in people. The clients are there to advocate for them, but then they're leaving them in our care in the hospital. And we have to make sure that not only are their health needs met, but equally their mental needs, that they're in a hospital, they're in a strange environment. And so our nursing team really take a lot of care to make sure they're comfortable, the lighting is correct. Sometimes they just want to listen to music. Classical music has been shown to reduce stress levels and then sometimes some of them if they're long-term patients like to watch YouTube so whatever they like. (laughs) I just love it. Mary when you left the States um, after working obviously in St. Louis is it correct you took up the first infectious diseases post outside of Dublin and Cork University Hospital was that very tough did you have enough resources what was that like? 
Yeah, I suppose it was tough. I hadn't trained in Cork, so I was new to the area, but got a huge welcome um, from the hospital and the general manager at the time, Tony McNamara. Um, yeah, I, I built it up. I walked into CUH uh, with nothing, no secretary um, or no house staff. But, you know, with time, I built it up and acknowledge, you know, all of the trainees that have gone um, through, um, you know, through CUH as part of the College of Physicians. I have a fantastic secretary, Tina, who keeps me um, <laughs> on the straight and narrow, um, somebody else I couldn't uh, survive without. Um, yeah, and just built up the service. I was single-handed for 15 years and then um, colleagues started coming and, you know, I worked, uh, worked down in, in UCC also where I was dean of the medical school so it was a busy time but you just put the head down and and get on with it and it was fantastic to be able to build up the infectious disease service in the southern uh, region and it's it's great now that I have four colleagues so we we multiplied quite a bit but yeah it had challenges but you know you you just get on with it um, and you know that you're providing good service for for the people in in the province. And you've shattered the glass ceiling a few times. As you mentioned there, you were Dean of the School of Medicine in UCC, but you were the first female Dean there. And also, of course, you became the first female President of the Royal College of Physicians in its 368-year history. Did that, what, was that important to you, Mary? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I, I got elected to that position, so that was important that my peers... Um, felt that I was the right candidate for the time. The College of Physicians, which is on Kildare Street, is the largest postgraduate training body. So when you when and people go into hospital, they're really likely to meet um, our members, our trainees. Um, so it's across a huge number of specialties, medicine and obstetrics, pediatrics, public health, occupational health and pathology. Um, so it was really important because it's the training, it's the education of doctors, but also advocacy in areas like women's health, in vaccination, um, in climate change and how it impacts health. So for me to be the first woman and then get re-elected, which was really important, was right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, it, 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 it's, it's um, I suppose, a privilege that I was. And I think that I have delivered on what I said I'd deliver on when I got elected way back in 2017. Definitely. And Laura, is there a lot of emotional pressure in treating animals? Like I know even within my own family, we have a dog and they're all obsessed with the dog. But like there must be a lot of emotional pressure when you're treating someone's animals because they get so emotionally attached to their animals, people, don't they? Well, they do. And I think Irish people in particular in the last 10 or 15 years, there's been a big change in people's view or perception of pets. I would say, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you know, people were very much, well, it's maybe it's kinder to put them to sleep and we'll get another pet. And um, now that is absolutely not the case. These are family members. These mm -hmm. are, you know, surrogate children and people will do anything to try and help them. And, and certainly that becomes very emotionally charged when they have a very complex medical problem and we're trying to decide on the, the future quality of life, not just quantity of life for that pet. So certainly it can become a very emotionally draining job as well um, and for our staff. So veterinary staff have very significant rates of mental health issues um, and stress levels. And so that's something we're very cognizant of, of our staff as well. It can be a very difficult job and you have to be quite resilient to maintain a career in veterinary medicine.
That's so interesting. And also, it must be very difficult, as you say, because someone comes along to you, say, with their family dog they've had maybe 14 years. And you're looking at that dog and maybe putting on your clinical hat, you're thinking that dog's quality of life actually is quite poor. But obviously the owner isn't ready yet to part from their dog. How do you advise people and are they very difficult conversations to have? I think they're, they are some of the most difficult conversations we have when we can objectively say quality of life is not particularly good in this case. And that's where we as veterinary professionals have to advocate for the patient. And so we try, we will never do anything against anyone's wishes, but we try to then counsel the client of maybe this is not fair to continue. And in veterinary medicine, at least we have the option of a painless end in euthanasia, which mm. I think, you know, personally, I would choose for myself if I could at when the end comes because it's a painless choice for that pet when quality of life is poor. And I think that's where this gets emotionally charged when maybe the client isn't ready for that. So we try to counsel them through and get them to the point where they maybe recognize quality of life isn't where it should be. Maybe we should be kind at the end here when they've had this pet for 14 years. They owe it to them to potentially give them the the ending that's that's painless and, and not suffering. And the kind of changes you've witnessed, Laura, in your practice in recent years, I mean, do you see a shift and maybe in the breeds of dogs people are bringing to you? And also, I suppose, how Irish people view their pets, how well they mind them these days. Yes, the the change in breeds is extremely interesting and it presents a little bit of an ethical dilemma for vets. So most people will recognise from advertising campaigns that these brachycephalic breeds or these flat-faced breeds are now very popular. So the most popular breed in the UK now is the French Bulldog, um, followed probably by the English Bulldog Pug, all of these flat-faced breeds. And you know, vets can see why people choose them as pets. They are really cute. They have great personalities. They're good family pets. But unfortunately, on balance of that, they come with a myriad of health issues due to the way they've been bred. And so we see them as puppies with spontaneous fractures in their legs. We see them for airway surgery to help them breathe. We see them for spinal surgery when they're paralyzed. Um, And this becomes morally quite difficult for us to reconcile. We want to help the individual. But as vets, we feel like we need to educate the public on these Mm -hmm. dogs may not necessarily be the healthiest pets to get. And if you're going to get one, make sure that you get insurance, that you'll be able to treat their medical conditions that may crop up. So interesting. Mary, obviously a consultant in infectious diseases, I said at the beginning, I interviewed you many times during the pandemic. You, of course, brought your invaluable clinic experience to Neffet. But when you reflect back now on that time, which isn't that long ago, but it does seem so far away, it was a crazy time for everyone. Is there anything you think should maybe have been handled differently during COVID? Um, it's a difficult question because I think every country handled it slightly differently because we either live differently or we have different governance structures and how we deliver health. I'm a great person for looking forward. And I think the key is to ensure the lessons that we learned, that we can use them for forward planning, for pandemic or emerging threat preparedness. Um, A lot of investment was put into diagnostics and vaccine programs and testing. I think a a coordination of those so that it can be used in the future. What what would I do? I mean, the the Irish population are very well educated and I think they show that during the pandemic that they got the science, they understood the importance of the science. And I think an assumption that that they have that level of education, that they can take things on board uh, quickly 
and um, go with what was essentially very compliant population. Um, but I think it's it's looking forward and being prepared for the next um, health, you know, health threat, uh, whether it's a, a pandemic, I think it is key. The playbook will never be perfect, um, but I think it's having the playbook and being able to tweak it um, in the event of, of another pandemic. But I think like most of the country, you know, it's good to be at this phase um, and um, living back to living the way we always uh, live pre-pandemic. And of course, outside of medicine, you're a mad Kerry supporter. You're a great lover of sport and you did help guide the safe return of sport after COVID, didn't you? That mattered to you. Yeah, it really did matter. Um, I was initially contacted by World Rugby with uh, Professor Aina Falvey, a colleague of mine in Cork, and we did the first return to play document in uh, April 2020. And then again, I was privileged um, to um, advise the GAA on the return to play. And we all worked hard, the whole committee, on getting cool camps back, getting young people back to sports and, of course, us as spectators back into stadia. So that was really important. I mean, Sports is really important for for young people to get out, good for their physical, but also their mental health. Um, and and uh, eventually Kerry won the All-Ireland last year. So <laughs> I was absolutely delighted to be um, there to witness it. So, yeah, no, it was it was it was about me giving back to to the country that has done so much for me. And that's part of that is is getting involved in volunteerism, like in sports, in other um, boards at a national level. Uh, it is about giving back. Oh, it's so lovely. And Laura, of course, in your hospital, veterinary specialist, it's not just cats and dogs. Do you look after, are you going to be looking after snakes? Did I read that? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> later this year, we're actually opening an exotics department. Um, so exotics traditionally have uh, have had some centres to treat them in Ireland, but none with advanced imaging like CT scans, MRI scans, etc. And so we are adding an exotic service to our team, um, an exotics person who who's well known in the community already. Um, Dr. Bob is going to be joining us uh, come September this year, um, and he's going to be launching our exotic service. So yeah, we'll have snakes, <laughs> birds, you name it, they'll be there. So we'll find some new YouTube videos to entertain them. Delighted to hear that. Well, look, Professor Mary Horgan and Dr. Laura Cuddy, congrats to both of you in your awards last night. So well deserved in the fields of medicine and veterinary. Thanks for chatting to me this morning.